put up, and we got folks who, you know, are, are, are still little babies, and, and I mean, it is a great thing, it is a real blessing to be in a community like this, where folks, um, you know, they, they love each other and they take care of each other. It's, it's, it's a blessing I, I thank God for, like, almost every day, um, and I, I wanted to say that before we uh, continue. <laughs> Let's uh, pray, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, dive into the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. Help me to um, um, speak the word uh, uh, properly. Help me to be faithful to the text and faithful to the truth. And I pray that you would uh, um, give your grace to the folks who are here and help them to hear not from me, but from you, Lord. Um, I pray that my my words and my my uh, um, my thoughts uh, would would be an expression of what you want them to hear, and that, that you would just. Touch their hearts and minds today. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we are a few weeks out of Easter, and um, as, a, as a kind of variation over, over um, the standard Easter message, we're, we're actually doing Old Testament Easter. Um, the, the, the reason for that is, and we're looking at Noah today, I, I thought long and hard and opted not to use any video clips or, or movie scenes um, for this week's sermon, um, and I'm not going to make any jokes about the movie. Um, lots of effort. Um, <laughs> um, y'all heard that that a Noah movie came out, right? Like, if you're gonna go see, you gotta get there early because once the doors close, it's fun. That's funny. <laughs> I did it. See, I <laughs> less than a minute. I <laughs> um, what we're looking at specifically is a thing called typology. Typology is. Um, Based off a word, uh, tupos, right, which in the, um, in the Greek means to make an impression in clay, um, like with a stamp or something, right? And Paul used the word to describe when something that was in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the story of Jesus. Everybody with me? Because um, in, in literature, you'd call it foreshadowing. Um, throughout the Old Testament, we find these just, like, amazing parallels um, in, in the stories of the, the guys who, who lived literally thousands of years before Jesus was born and the life of Jesus himself. And, and so as we look at um, the Old Testament, we, we can begin to learn some, some very interesting things about Easter and about God's grace for us, like, like in the sending of his son. And, and so um, as we kind of um, look at this series, what we're looking at is we're looking at Easter from the perspective of the Old Testament. Um, this is not the same thing as an allegory, right? Um, the thing that, that makes it different, um, typology is, is a clear pointer, whereas allegory is forcing meaning into a text. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's, um, it's kind of a shade of difference, and it's a line that I'm walking very carefully as I'm preaching this, just so you know. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about here real quick, um, whenever you read Hebrew literature, right, like, Hebrew literature has some very specific symbols that are built into it. And actually, like, poems and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, it's a really, like, involved and, and um, sophisticated kind of writing. But one of the recurring symbols that you see is water is associated with death and hell, right? Like, whenever you see, you know, water turn up in a story, um, part of what we're being pointed to is the fact that, like, there's death imminent, right? Or that death is there, or that... Um, you know, God's judgment is on a person. Um, and, and that's important because Noah, the story of Noah, has some water in it. I mean, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> the front three rows, you'll probably get wet today. 
<coughs> and I'm not going to shoot tea at you, I promise. I beat you to it. <laughs> um, and, and so, like, the way this works out, like, and this is sort of, I have my little diagram here. I made it myself. Isn't it pretty? Um, everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And it points forward to Jesus either in typology or um, it tells us things about God's grace or God's love or about sin or about people or what have you. And it sets up the story of Jesus. So the whole Old Testament, if you're going to read it properly, is this big flashing neon sign arrow that's pointing at Jesus. And then you have the Gospels, right? The Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after that, everything that happens after points back to the death and, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Because the whole Bible is actually just about that. And it builds up and points to it, and then it um, tapers away and points back. Everybody still with me? Everybody still awake? Okay. Um, we're going to start in Genesis 5:29. If you have a Bible with you, you can look it up and follow along if you don't. Um, and actually, before I jump into this, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a quick story. I, I worked for about nine years, eight, eight years at a, at a mental health facility before I came here. And I talk about it all the time, so everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's going to talk about it again. Um, but we would get um, work with young people, and we would get like, like gang kids in and drug addicts, and, and probably about 95% of them walked in the door angry at God, right? Like just absolutely furious at God. And, and one of the things that I spent an enormous amount of time doing I mean, entirely too much time doing was arguing about God. Like, people would say, well, hey, if this God person's real, why do children starve in Africa? You know, if this God person's real, why do bad things happen to, like, babies? Or why is there disease? Or why, why doesn't God just wipe all that stuff out? And, and, you know, I would have that argument over and over and over again. And half the time, the person who was asking the question, that wasn't really the issue. The real issue was, I'm mad at God because blank. And, and they're, you know, asking questions that are intellectual and smart so they don't have to talk about their feelings. Everybody with me? Um, Noah is the story of why evil continues to exist in the world. Like, the question I asked, like, why doesn't God just wipe out bad people? Has anybody ever wondered that? I mean... Like, at the end of the day, you look and you say, well, why didn't God just, like, step out of the clouds and kind of squish Hitler, you know? <laughs> See, in the middle of a speech, it would have been the most, like, monumental moment of the war. <laughs> You're like, God steps in, <laughs> you know, in the end. Um, has anybody, I mean, ever wondered that? Like, the, the story of Noah, as we proceed into it, is the story of God finding every bad person in the world and squishing all of them at once. Everybody with me? All right. And, and so we'll come back to that, but pay attention as we go through it. So we're going to start with Genesis 5.29. This is actually with the naming of Noah, because in, in the Bible, the naming of anybody is a big deal. Names carried a great deal of meaning and significance, and in this case, it was sort of prophetic. Um, prophetic, not. All right. Um, now he called his name Noah. This is Noah's dad, named him Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now, this is about three chapters after Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Okay? And so they went from the world being perfect and farming being easy to now in order to grow stuff out of the ground, it takes work. And there are thorns and rocks in the field. So when you're out picking rocks, 
thank Adam and Eve. Um, but but what um, so like he his dad says this child is going to provide relief. This brokenness in the world is going to be fixed by Noah, right? And he doesn't explain what he means by that. He never does. But Noah actually means rest. The name means rest. And actually, there's kind of a mystery attached to this that doesn't get explained until much, much, much later. Everybody with me? So Noah, whose name means rest, is going to bring relief from the curse. And the curse is death. The curse is brokenness. The curse is all the stuff that's not right in the world. Um, We keep going. So... God looks at the world, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he grieved in his heart. I'm going to hit pause here. He grieved in his heart literally means God like wept over it. He cried. He was sorry. He looked at the world and he said, look at how bad everyone is. When they do things, they do it for themselves. When they see an opportunity to kind of cheat the other guy, they do it because they can. When they have a good thought, 90% of the time their good thought is a bad thought. Everybody with me? Like, when we look at everything that God is looking at, he's looking at all people, and in the end his, his decision is everyone, everyone, everyone is bad. Everyone. I say it four times there. I really mean it. Um, they don't even, like, do well thinking good thoughts occasionally. Um, Isaiah, and Victor's not here, so it's no fun saying it, but, but Isaiah actually has a line where it says that even the best things we do, so your best day, right, your best day, um, the best things you do is, like, filthy rags next to God's robes of righteousness. And filthy rags actually refers to menstrual pads. Like, he, it's, he's saying... God's good is so far away from our best that it's insane, right? Like, like the degree of separation. So when I'm out there doing the best I can, right? When I'm out there doing the best I can, it ain't all that good. Um, and that's because everyone is tainted by sin. We looked at Adam and Eve last week, and, and we looked at sin's introduction to the world, and sin affects everyone. It affects children, believe it or not. You don't believe me, come spend a few hours with my daughter and you'll testify. Um, <laughs> um, it, affects, you know, it affects everybody. Even the best amongst us is affected by sin. And you say, well, yeah, but I'm not as bad as Hitler, right? Like, I've never killed 8 million people, so, you know, hey, I, I'm not as bad as that guy. Has anybody else got people in their lives that they can point to and say, I'm not as bad as that guy. Um, There's this awful truth about spirituality, right? If you're looking at the other guy and comparing yourself to him, what you're not doing is looking at you. (laughs) Because the reality is that, like, we all have it. And the other reality is, like, the Ten Commandments, they were on stone tablets. You guys know that, right? Big stone tablets. Like, think about stone tablets as in, like, if I have a stone tablet and I break part of it off, it's not partially broken, it's all broken, right? Like, the Ten Commandments is one set of agreements. So, like, don't lie, don't um, want things that don't belong to you, don't um, steal, don't, you know, sleep with people who aren't your spouse. All of these things are one agreement. So if I steal, I broke the whole set of laws. It's kind of like Jess and I are married. If I were to go out and date other women, it's not like I'm just breaking that agreement or our marriage covenant. 
I'm breaking the whole thing, and then she'd actually break my legs, and it would be a complete set. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Stop. <laughs> I was like having a heckler over there. It's <laughs> Um, and so, like, God looks at everyone and he sees man in his natural state. Man's natural state is sinful. And he sees people sinning all over the place. And so God fixes it by deciding, well, um, he, he, first he's sorry and he says, Then the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Meaning that all people, God looks and he decides to judge the, the bad people. Guess what? That's everybody, right? So we look at starving people in, in you know, other countries, and we watch those sad commercials and everything. Um, you know, we say, well, why doesn't God wipe out the dictators that make that happen? Because if he starts wiping out people who sin, you're on the list too. Everybody with me? Like, it's really easy to wish judgment on everybody else. The problem is that all of us would fall under that judgment. All of us. Is anybody here perfect? Anybody want to point at somebody you know might be perfect? The reality is that none of us are. It's sin. Um, And so God looks and he says, look at all of these people. I'm just going to hit the reset button and I'm going to wipe everything out. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. The word favor is sort of an odd word. What it actually means, and it's the first time we see it in the Bible, it means grace. Right? Like, it means roughly the same thing as grace. Grace is something that you receive but don't deserve and cannot earn, right? The song Amazing Grace, we sang it today. I actually wrote it on my hand so I'd remember to say this. The song Amazing Grace was written by a guy who was involved in slave trade. He was on a slave trading ship at the time, and um, he was realizing that God forgave him even though he was the worst person in the whole world. God's grace, God's forgiveness is something you don't deserve and I don't deserve. And Noah is in the same boat. Noah may have been a pretty okay guy, but at the end of the day, God gave him favor because of grace. God picked him, not because he earned it, not because he was awesome, not because God like really thought that Noah had kind of the right way to carry himself and he thought, well, this is the guy I want to be the prototype for everyone else in the world. In reality, God looked at Noah and he said, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. And these are the records of Noah's generation. Uh, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and he walked with God. Now, all three of these phrases refer to the fact, like righteous means that Noah was in right relationship with the people around him and with God. That's what that word means. It doesn't mean he never sinned. It means that he was in right relationship with the folks around him, right? Um, He was... Uh, a righteous man, he was blameless in his time, meaning like he didn't have sin that he was hiding. Like it wasn't as though there was stuff floating around out there that people could raise against him. And he walked with God, meaning he was one of the last people who followed God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, um, all of whom get saved in the ark. Hooray! So there's like nine people that get to get in the ark. Um, this is Genesis 11 through four, or 6, 11 through 14. Now the earth was corrupted in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them, destroy them with the earth. 
Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And then there's a whole set of building instructions. Anybody want to hear about that this morning? No. So we're going to skip over that part. Sorry. You can read it on your own. It's about 30 verses. Like, he gave them very specific instructions on how to make this boat. And it was a big, stinking boat, right? (laughs) It was huge. And it was big enough to house a lot of animals and a handful of people. And uh, it was large enough to survive a flood at that. Um, So we keep going. Genesis 7, 5 to 7. Noah did according to the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them embarked in the ark because of the water of the flood. Um, So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded them. Um, And the Lord closed it behind them. So they walk into the ark and the very next thing that happens is who closes the door? God closes the door, right? They didn't get in and like sort of pull the ropes and close the door up. God seals the ark. This is important. I'm going to cover the whole story and we're going to come back and look at the parallels here. Okay? It's a lot of text to slog through, but I'm doing my best. Um, The other thing I want to note is that arks are mentioned three times in the Bible. Three times um, in specific accounts, and we'll come back to that too. Um, Noah, so the flood happens. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Everybody dies except for like eight people, which, by the way, makes this the least children-friendly story ever to be painted on a nursery wall, right? <laughs> I mean, because it's, <laughs> it's the story of God looking and saying, you guys are all terrible. I'm going to drown you all. We're going to hit the reset button on the world, right? Um, <laughs> just saying. Um, and so they, they land, and the first thing Noah does when he gets out of the ark is, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Um, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So God makes an agreement. He's, you know, Noah comes out. He offers offering. By the way, there weren't two of every animal. That's actually not true. There was like seven of every clean animal and six of every unclean or something like that. Um, so when he does the sacrifices, it's not like, oh, there went the unicorns. Um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> he, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> So, so, you know, he, he does offerings, and God responds by making an agreement. Now, something that's hidden in the text in about 6,000, 8,000 years of history is um, that when God talks to Noah, this phrase, the way it's set up, is in a contract form, right? I mean, like, when you read a novel, you recognize that's different from your cell phone contract, right? Like, the, the novel tells you a story, a cell phone contract, you sell your soul to the devil, and, you know... <laughs> get terrible reception anyway. Um, This is a contract or a treaty. It's called a Suzerian vassal treaty, right? And it was very common in the ancient world when one party was incredibly powerful to make an agreement with another party. And that agreement, like the only thing that holds it is that the powerful party, like a king, by his own honor, honors it, right? So like if I was a king and you guys were all my subjects, I would say, you know... Hey, guys, I'm going to make an agreement with you all. I'm not going to kill you randomly. There's my agreement. 
and everybody would be happy. Well, you can't do anything to stop me if I'm the king, right? You might rise up against me. But like the, the vassal part, people, Noah, can't stop God if he decides to destroy the world, right? Like is there anything they can do to stop God? They could yell real loud. They could pretend he isn't there, but it ain't going to stop him. <laughs> like he's God. He can do whatever he wants. You know, um, sometimes Abby gets in trouble and she'll close her eyes and you know, like, pretend I'm not coming to get her. <laughs> in reality, closing her eyes doesn't help. Pretending God isn't there doesn't help. Um, there's nothing we can do to stop him. God's going to do what he wants. But by his own honor, God agrees. He says, listen, you don't deserve it. You got nothing I want, but I won't destroy the world again. Judgment is not going to come on people for that, you know, because I'm going to not do it. So first off, when we say, why doesn't God just kill all the bad people? It's a bad deal because you would be one of them. Sorry. Secondly, God already agreed not to. He sets this agreement and he says, I will not just destroy the world again. Um, And then the third problem that arises, and we're not going to cover it in this text, but does anybody know what Noah does after this? Builds a vineyard and gets drunk. (laughs) And then he kicks one of his kids out of the house and says, never, ever come back again, ever, ever, ever. So guess what? Noah was sinful too, right? (laughs) Um, The reality is that if God keeps any of us alive, there's going to be sin in this world, right? This is the reason God doesn't just get rid of all the bad people. So what does God do to fix it? Well, we're going to back up here. We're going to... Can you move me back to the first slide? It's not cooperating. Um, We're going to back up here and we're going to start talking about it. The first type, the first parallel we find in this is Noah. Noah has parallels to Jesus, right? Um, All of us live under the curse of sin, right? Jesus comes along with a specific purpose, with the specific intent of generating peace between us and God. And in fact, actually, he spells it out. He says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you Rest. What does he give us rest from? Well, he gives us rest from the crushing oppression of our sin. What does Noah mean? Rest. He's the one who will give us rest from the curse. And in reality, Noah doesn't really give them rest, but he points forward to Jesus, who does give them re- give us rest. Um, the next major pal- parallel that we find there is that God um, associates grace with Noah. Jesus is the first bringer of real grace, real salvation to all people, right? And so when we talk about Jesus, we need to understand that um, we are given, like, like, peace. We're given righteousness. We're given a clean slate before God because God has grace on us. And that grace is first mentioned in connection to Noah. Um, what does God have Noah do? Build a boat, right? Arks are mentioned three times in the Bible. Oh, let, let's get to that in a second. Um, Noah brings about the means of salvation, right? For Noah, the animals, and his family, they're all going to drown otherwise, right? Noah brings about the means of salvation. And he does it according to God's plan, right? And it's not as though the rain started falling and God was like, all right, well, let's get this started, guys. Or God didn't say, well, let's go ahead and throw that boat up real quick by miracle. No, God had a plan and God gave him directions and he followed the directions. In the same way as God has a plan for dealing with sin in the world, right? And that plan is followed through in Christ. And Christ brings it about. The ark. Um, Does anybody know the three mentions of ark in the Bible, by the way? Let's see if anybody wins Bible trivia for the day. There's this one. Moses, that's right. 
Moses was, um, when he was an infant, was placed in a basket and put in the river. By the way, water, he was saved from death by the ark. The ark carried him to the Pharaoh's daughter where he was brought into his destiny, right? Um, and the third instance is the Ark of the Covenant, um, which is um, this sacrificial thing. Like if I had sin, I would sacrifice an animal and pour the blood onto the Ark. And the Ark like, was where my sin was taken away. Does that make sense? Like it was that interaction point. And the Ark protected us from God's judgment. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. We're not going to get into it right now. Um, and so the Ark is the means by which we're saved. The means by which we're saved now is the cross and Christ's death for us, right? Um, we're going to jump ahead to Peter, if I can get there. Oh, actually, I had a list. Um, oh, and at the end, by the way, one last parallel between Noah and, and Christ is Noah sacrificed in the end and God made a new agreement, right? When we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating Jesus being sacrificed for our sins and at the In response to that sacrifice, God makes a new covenant with all man. And that new agreement that God honors because he's God, the new agreement is you're given forgiveness. You're given grace. You're made brand new. You have a clean slate because Jesus was sacrificed for you. And so we have our last parallel there with Noah. When we celebrate Easter, what we're really celebrating is God saves us and makes an agreement to make us whole and clean. First um, Peter, um, for Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient. <coughs> really quick summary there. Jesus died for our sins. Everybody with me? He makes a provision for saving us from our own sin. Um, from the death that we have coming. And we all have death coming, right? Anybody here not earn some of God's judgment? We all have. If we point to other people and say, well, that guy's worse, John's worse than me, um, in reality, we're just not looking at our own sin. Um, We've all earned it. It's coming to all of us. But when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. All right, we're going to hit pause there. Um, note, note that what Peter says there is people, eight people were brought safely through the water. They weren't actually, you know, they were, they were brought safely through the ark, right? Like they, they got in the ark and they, you know, <laughs> the ark was what saved them in the end, right? Like the, the ark, you know, they were in the boat, boat floated, they were alive. The big flood didn't drown them. But Peter says through the water. Why? Because they passed through death. Right? That's the symbolism there. The eight people in the ark literally passed through death and came out the other side alive. In Christ, right? If you have faith in Christ, if I have faith on Christ, if any of us have faith in Christ, we participate in his death on the cross. We die with him on the cross. Our sin is literally nailed to the cross with Christ. And God judges that sin and we're brought through that death and we're made clean on the other side. Um, the ark saved people who didn't deserve to be saved. The cross saves you and me. When we celebrate Easter, when we celebrate Good Friday, what we're celebrating is that God saves folks that don't deserve to be saved. Um, and Peter goes on and he says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, the parallel to the ark is baptism. Why? Because baptism is symbolic of us being buried in Christ and coming out of it brand new and alive. Um, the major parallel, the major typology, the clay imprint, right, is all of us die in Christ. All of us enter the flood and come out alive on the other side. Brand new with a new agreement. A new agreement that can never be broken. A new agreement that says even though you die, you'll live forever with, with Christ. Even though you sin, even though you do things that separate you from God, he'll bring you back when the time comes. Because he honors the death of his son for us. Um, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Um, we're going to finish up um, kind of as we, as we deal with this, as we approach Easter, as we approach um, Good Friday, as we approach the days that we celebrate and commemorate Jesus' salvation for us, his work for us, um, recognize we're escaping from our own sin like, like the guys jumping on the boat and surviving in the, you know, through the ark. God is, God is there saving us. He shuts the door behind us, meaning he does all the work for us. And in the end, we come out clean on the other side, washed of our wickedness, because Jesus died for us. And it was planned in the very beginning. From the day the fall happened, God knew how he would do it. And he knew that he would be doing that for you. Um, we're going to close in prayer. And, and um, do we have a... I, no, we don't have a last song, do we? Are you going to do a song? Okay. <laughs> um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today and um, help us to recognize just the great gift that you give us in Christ. The great gift that you give us in, in um, the patience that you demonstrate waiting for us to... Um, uh, waiting for us to come to you, Lord, and, and uh, the, the salvation that you offer us. Like the ark saved the, the eight in the Old Testament, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be saved through, through the cross and through dying to our old selves. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.